It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Well, hey, everybody, welcome to this episode of Athletic Obscure, the podcast that's the home of the weird, strange, and unknown in sports. My name is Seth Mormon, and across the table from me, as always, is my good friend Richard Manning. How you doing, Seth? I'm doing well. Hey, it's it's Great Cup Sunday. It is Great Cup Sunday, eh? Yeah, hey, we're going to, yeah. Richard came over to my house, we're going to be watching the Great Cup here in a little bit, uh, Toronto and uh, Winnipeg, you got a, you got a, a, a dog in this fight? Uh, not really, but I think Winnipeg is going to win. I just think uh, the Blue Bombers looked so good this year, and uh, they're what, 16-3 and three coming into this? Absolutely, uh, yeah. yeah. The playoffs? You know, I was just really bummed last week in the West Final, I thought the BC Lions would do it, but uh, if you have no idea what we're talking about, we're talking about Canadian football. And, it's uh, really fun. It is. Is, it is fun, and it is right up our angle. Hey, anyways, we are part of the Electrocast Podcast Network. You can check out all the shows in the network by going to electrocast.com, clicking on podcasts. Please check out all the other shows. And, of course, you can get them wherever your podcasts uh, are sold. Is that what we say? Wherever your podcasts are sold, you can buy them? No, sure, they're not operators sold. operators are standing by or something. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. And if you haven't subscribed uh, to our little show, please do so. And remember, subscriptions are free. Uh, welcome. This is lucky episode number 13, Richard. And in honor of that, we're going to talk about curses. Wow. I didn't even realize it was 13 when we talked about this episode. I, I know. Sports curses. Lucky number 13. Uh-huh. Now, we are just going to jump right into it. So without further ado, we're going to get into the meat of the show. I'm sure you've all heard of sports curses before. You probably have a couple of favorites. I have a few favorites. Rich, when you talk about sports curses, what are some of them that come to mind right away? I mean, the obvious one is the curse of the Bambino, right? Sure. Uh, of course, the Babe Ruth thing. And then the curse of the Billy Go with the Chicago Cubs. And, you know, we're the certain age where we grew up with the Madden curse, right? Absolutely. Yeah. The Madden curse. If you don't know the Madden curse, the EA Sports uh, NFL football game, if you got on the cover, you were doomed to either have a terrible season or get injured. Or this the famous uh, Sports Illustrated curse. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. If you, were, if you were on this cover of Sports Illustrated, your season was doomed. I was thinking of some other curses that I think are, are, are fun. Uh, I think of the Taylor Swift curse for the Kings. Yeah. Uh, that one where they put up the Taylor Swift banner for her, uh, you know, all those uh, sold out shows. And then uh, they finally, actually, they removed the banner uh, they in December the banner. Of, of like 2020. And look so. at that. As it stands right now, the Kings are in second place in the division. I know. I know. Another local curse that I think about is the curse of the native Indian burial ground in Anaheim. Mm-hmm. Uh, saying that they built the stadium uh, back uh, in the mid-60s and they unearthed a bunch of Native American artifacts. And they just, like, got rid of them, and so the Angels were cursed not to win a championship, which kind of seemed true for a long time, right? Yeah, well, then you also got the curse of Dean Spanos. 
Oh my gosh, that's a which is just the Chargers being literally owned by Dean Spanos. Yeah, right, and it's still going on, and I think yeah. it's, they're still going to be cursed. Mm-hmm. Um, anyways, a lot of these curses end up having some fabrications, obviously some lore, uh, some things that necessarily aren't true, and we're actually going to be getting into some of that as well. And getting back to that, the Angels, uh, you did some research on that, right? And it uh, turns out that it was kind of fabricated. Well, completely fabricated. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's no truth to that at all. Yeah. Well, and it seems like that seems to be the, the meat of some of these curses, that it ends up being, you know, kind of the convenient way to kind of mask up really kind of terrible ownership or business decisions or well, something like that. We'll talk about that a little bit later, too, because there's some curses that we specifically left off of what we're talking about specifically because of that. Yep. All right. So in the show, Richard and I are going to each uh, share two curses that we've researched. But, Rich, you talked about probably the two most uh, important curses or ones maybe I should say that are most famous. You want to give a little bit bit of info about those because I think people know them, but I don't think they really know them. Right. Yeah. Of course, you know, we're, we're talking about uh, the curse of the Bambino and the curse of the Billy Goat. The curses are well known. I mean, sure. the curse of the Bambino, of course, if you know anybody that's a Red Sox fan in your life, you know that the curse of the Bambino involves the Red Sox selling Babe Ruth to the Yankees. And then the curse of the Billy Goat involved a guy and his goat not being allowed into Wrigley Field during the 1945 World Series which is kind of weird when you think about it. you're bringing a goat to a baseball game. I know. Isn't that funny? It's really crazy. Yeah. The 1940s were a wild time. Yep. Uh, we don't really need to dive into what happens on the field. Yep. Because if all you need to do is ask our Red Sox fans, they'll rattle off 1946, 1978, 1986, Johnny Pesky, Bucky Bleeping Dent, yeah. you know, <laughs> um, Bill Buckner, all that stuff. But I want to bring those curses up because the curses are tied to some very non-interesting baseball stuff. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm sure you've done your homework with both of these. Yeah, right? I did. Okay. And uh, so let's start with the curse of the Mabino because the narrative behind the curse is completely wrong. Okay. The story goes that Red Sox owner Henry Frazee uh, sold the babe to the Red Sox and he used the money he received from the transaction to finance his new musical, No, No, Nanette. Oh, yeah, I've heard of that. Yeah, now, I'll be honest with you. I, I When I put around the story, I assumed it was true, and I was curious to see how successful the play was. Well, it turns out it was completely bogus. Okay. Uh, firstly, Frazee made serious bank off of Broadway, and the Red Sox was only a minor part of his portfolio. Okay. Now, he had all the money he needed to fund whatever play he wanted. Now, secondly... Frazee wasted no time explaining his reason for selling Ruth. He thought Babe's salaries demands were too high. He felt Ruth's plain partying lifestyle was too disruptive to the team. So he was really kind of this jerk that was off the chain and just wanted his demand. He was just an unruly kind of player. So this was a business decision just to say we, we, we don't need this guy on our team anymore. Right. And what's fascinating about this is that a lot of people in the baseball world at the time felt Frazee made the right move going as far as saying that the Sox would be better off without him. Okay. Because he was this guy who was a hard drinker, a hard partier. Sure. He didn't want to pitch anymore because he made his bones pitching for the Red Sox and he just felt, oh, I'm I'm Babe Ruth now, and I can call the shots. And no, he's like, nope, go. And so does that change the curse? Technically, no. The Red Sox, of course, still win 86 years without winning anything. But I think it does take the luster off the whole legend of, oh, uh, you know, the cash-strapped Broadway guy trading away Ruth for his play because the narrative really is a successful Broadway mover and shaker 
makes what looks to be a wise baseball move at the time. Yeah, yeah. So it's yep. really not as fun. It's interesting to to see that 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 really it's a it's a business decision that was thought of as a as a good move at the time, and the whole story behind the curse is really more made up to to maybe assuage the feelings of the fan base, um, especially as, as the decades would go on. It, it would give you something or someone or something to blame. You know, I think so because. You look again 20 years, 25 years later when Pesky hesitates and the Red Sox lose the World Series of 46. By that time, the Ruth legend has grown. And by the time we get to the 70s with Bucky Bleep and Dent, yeah. that is larger than the actual franchise itself. Yeah. And, you know, nobody in 78 probably realized okay, well, this is what Ruth was and this was what the baseball world was like 60 years ago. All they know is the legend, the stats, yeah, all this stuff. And it had been repeated over and over again. Yeah. You know, you repeat a certain narrative over a certain time, it becomes the truth, even though it's not. Right, right. And we've seen this a lot when we've done this. Yeah. So that brings us to the curse of the Billy Goat, which has the opposite effect when you dig into the context. Uh, the guy in question that refused the entry into Wrigley Field was the successful Greek restaurant owner named William Slanis. Now, he's the guy that according to legend, cursed the Cubs because he tried to get in. They wouldn't let him in. So the legend goes that he cursed the Cubs saying they won't win the World Series as long as the goat wasn't allowed into the stadium. <laughs> and it said that the reason given for Slanis for refusing the goat wasn't because pets weren't allowed in the stadium. It was because of the goat stunk. <laughs> That's so, funny. yeah. And we all know that the Cubs spent decades being, quote, lovable losers after that. Meanwhile, Slanis' restaurant, the Billy Goat Tavern, yeah. continued to excel. It had been a hit with Chicago journalists, and it was especially common for the sports writers for papers like the Chicago Tribune to gather there for lunch. Now, there was a legend that there used to be a uh, staircase that connected the Tribune directly to the tavern, yeah. which is below Wacker Street, if you've yeah. ever been to Chicago. I've not seen any evidence of that, so that might be an urban legend, but it's still a cool story. So, But the other thing is, is journalists weren't the only one that hung out there. In the 1970s, performers from the legendary Second, Second City comedy troupe, like Bill Murray and John Belushi, yeah. would drop yeah. in there from time to time and order the special that the tavern was known for, cheeseburger, chips, Coke. <laughs> Perfect. Eventually, Perfect. they made it to Saturday Night Live, and along with another Chicago-based comedy writer named Don Novello, also known as Father Guido Sarducci. Oh, yeah, I remember him. So Novello used the Billy Goat Tavern as the base for one of his most iconic sketches from yeah. SNL's early days, changing the name to Olympia Provisions and swapping Coke with Pepsi. He put Belushi, Murray, and Dan Aykroyd behind the counter, and the rest is history. Rumor has it that Novello and Murray still drop in there when they're in town and in the mood for a cheeseburger, 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 cheeseburger. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, I know you've been to Chicago, Seth. Have you ever eaten at the Billy Goat? I am embarrassed to say I have not been to the Billy Goat Tavern. It is on my list. And to be honest with you, it wasn't until a conversation that you and I had within the last four or five years that I even knew that that SNL sketch was connected to the city of Chicago. So it's new to me. So it's on my list. I, I, I need to go. And I, I have eaten there. And I will say this, that I've had some great food in Chicago. Yeah, me too. But that cheeseburger, the Billy Goat Tavern haunts my dreams. It is that good. It is seriously one of the most perfect cheeseburgers on the planet. 
and it's my mission to visit Chicago and watch a playoff game there. That would be fun. We should go together. We absolutely yeah, should. That would be great. All right. Well, those are some of the ones you've heard about. Let's get into the curses that maybe you haven't heard too much about. So, Rich, I'm going to let you get us going. It's your floor. Share the first curse with us. All right, let's go. The first curse we're going to dive in is the curse of Bill Barocco. Okay. Now, if you're a Canadian or a hardcore hockey fan, you may be familiar with the tragic tale. If you're neither, you're probably not. Now, Seth, I know you're not a Canadian, but I know you're a hockey fan. Are you familiar with Bill Barocco? Um, n- no, to be honest with you, I'm not. I, I've uh, You told me a little bit about this, and I didn't know anything about it. And then when we knew we were going to do this episode, I've, I, I wanted to click on the link so many times to get into it. So, go. Cool. So, Bill Barocco was a defenseman for the Toronto Maple Leafs from 1947 to 1951. His story and the curse that it spawned is the stuff of legend. So much so, it tends to run interference on his career and what kind of player he actually was. Barocco only played five seasons, and during his tenure, he was solid. He wasn't a superstar, but someone you could recall a reliable blue liner. Okay. He played a physical game, at least physical enough to have earned the nickname of uh, Bastion Bill. Okay. Uh, Not the most original, but that's all right. He is better than a Billy or Baroque, which is what <laughs> he would be called today, or right. Barokester or something. You know, awful hockey nicknames are the worst. Anyway, I went to hockeyreference.com and looked up his page because they do a really good job of comparing his stats, uh, the stats of an older players to other NHL players. Okay. So it turns out that he compares to a few modern hockey guys that you may have heard of. Guys like Ryan Suter, sure. uh, Dan Girardi, yep. Teppo Newman, and yep. Ulf Samuelson. Okay. Ulf Samuelson t- kind of tells me, yeah, this guy probably played with an edge. Right, absolutely. Yeah, look out, right. Cam Neely. Um, <laughs> during Barocco's uh, five seasons with the Leafs, he won four Stanley Cups. Oh, okay. So, you know, that's obviously the Leafs are really good. Right. I mean, I mean, this is the original six era, so, but still, the Leafs were at the pinnacle. The last cup he won was in 1951, and this is where his legend begins. In game five of the final against the arch-rival Montreal Canadiens, Barocco buried a game-winning slap shot in overtime to give the Leafs the cup. Uh, Again, this was his fourth cup in five years, and it wasn't by accident. The team was loaded with Hall of Famers. They had five, in fact, including goalie Turk Broda, who was arguably the best goaltender in Maple Leafs history. So in the summer of 1951, fresh off scoring the cup-clinching goal, Barocco went on a fishing trip with his dentist in northern Ontario into this rugged chunk of the province. However... The plane they boarded to get to his fishing destination never made it. The plane disappeared. While nobody knew what had happened, people quickly realized the plane crashed and Barocco and his traveling companion had died mm. in the accident. Mm. You know, he was only, what, 24 years old. Right. Right. So because the plane disappeared, however, nobody knew exactly where the plane was. That meant nobody knew where Barocco's body was. Year after year, searches for the plane and Barocco produced nothing. In the meantime, the Leafs start, stopped winning Stanley Cups. Mm. Now, this wasn't necessarily arbitrary. This is the era where the Detroit Red Wings production line, yep. uh, led by Gordie Howe, came yep. of age and started dominating the mid-50s. And then the Canadiens of the ni- late uh, 1950s had probably the arguably the best team the franchise has ever produced because they had people like Rocket Richard, yep. Jean Beliveau, Jacques Plante. Plus, the Leafs got older and had to rebuild. Still, rumblings of a curse started to grow. Even with each year, the Leafs went coupless. Tied to the fact that Barocco's body was still missing. By the time the 1961 season ended and the traditionally lowly Chicago Blackhawks won their first cup since 1938, the 
curse felt even more real than ever. Sure, sure. Finally, in 1962, the search for Barocco ended with some much-needed closure. His body and the plane he was in was found just outside of the town of Cochrane, Ontario. He was officially pronounced dead August 26, 1951, the day he was supposed to return from his fishing mm. trip. And like I said, he was only 24. Yeah. So you can probably guess what happened next. After Barocco's body was found, the Leafs, who were led by a whopping 11 future Hall of Famers, That's amazing. won the Stanley Cup. Yep. The curse was broken and a legend was born. Today, the curse of Bill Barocco has elevated Barocco's status from top solid four, maybe even reliable second pairing, maybe even second, third pairing defenseman to one of the franchise's most storied players. His number five hangs from the rafter, even though he only wore that number for one year. Oh, wow. In 1951, of course. Wow, of course. Plus, Barocco's legend was forever immortalized in perhaps the most Canadian way possible. The Canadian indie band, the Tragically Hip, Canadian <laughs> music legends in their right. own right, put out a tune called 50 Mission Cap, where the band's late singer, Gord Downey, recounted the curse of Bill Barocco and its resolution in song form. Wow, wow, wow. Fun fact about Gord Downey. He's Harry Sinden's son-in-law. What the heck? Yeah. That's crazy. That's why he was a Bruin fan instead of a uh, Leafs fan. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. Uh, Rich, that, that's fascinating. All right. All right. Um, I'm going to share one uh, with you. And for this one, we're Go going for it. Uh, across uh, the Pacific to Japan. And we're going to do what's called the Curse of the Colonel. Rich, probably you've heard of the link between uh, Colonel Harlan Sanders, founder of Kentucky Fried Chicken and the Hanshin Tigers Baseball Club, right? No, I really didn't before you brought this up. I knew that... Colonel Sanders was an icon in Japan. Yep. But that's the extent of it. I did not know that he had a connection with baseball. All right. So we got to get some background here. And first, let me give a caveat. I'm going to do my best to pronounce the names and the places in the story, but my apologies in advance for my terrible Japanese pronunciation. Just so that's my caveat to all of those people. Let's talk about Hanshin Tigers. They play in one of the two professional baseball leagues in Japan. And, and like here in the States, the teams are divided into two leagues. In Japan, you have the Pacific League and you have the Central League. And the winners of each league they win a pennant if they win it and they then they play in the japan series for the championship so not the world series but they call it the japan series mm -hmm. the the tigers what's the best way to say this richard the tigers have a cult following maybe similar to the chicago cubs i would kind of have it not quite yankees s because i think the yomiuri giants are maybe kind of the yankees okay. of, of the japanese league but this would be kind of like the the cubs i i, I might say even the, or maybe even the dodgers Maybe even the Dodgers, although, you know, the Dragons are kind of the Dodgers of that league. Anyways, it's, okay, there's, yeah. not, there's not one for ones necessarily here. Now, the Tigers uh, won the Central League pennant in 1962, 1964, but they became second fiddle because then the Yomiuri Giants peeled off nine straight championships the, the subsequent years. That's, you know, Sadahara O yep. and those all those teams, those particular things. Then then for the next couple of decades, they were just kind of mediocre and, and, and they weren't doing very well uh, but then they have this magical season of 1985 all right they win the pennant for the first time in 21 years the fans are going crazy after the game where they win the pennant for the central league the fans gathered outside the dotombori canal which is uh, in the area where where they were from and they began to to uh, sing out the players cheer song so remember in, in japanese baseball it's a, little, it's a different culture yeah so each of the players has a, a like a 
cheer song when they come up to bat and the entire crowd uh, sings it. So they would sing the cheer song and then uh, they did it one by one according to the batting order and they would shout out the team's name and then someone in the crowd who was chosen because they resembled the player would jump into the water. Now this is not good water. This is like dirty, sludgy, polluted water. So it went like this. They would they would sing the song, they would sing the song, and then they would yell out, Mayumi! And he would, somebody that in the crowd would jump into the water. So then they would sing a song, sing a song, and they would yell out, Hirota! And then somebody would jump in. But they get to Randy Bass. Randy Bass is an American who's okay. playing for, for the Hanshin Tigers. And they're ready to to sing his song, but they can't find somebody who looks like Randy Bass to right. jump into the canal. So there's no go- doppelganger. There's no jumper. Uh, you know, it's the only non-Japanese player on the team, and they, and they didn't quite know what to do. The, the, the fans have been drinking, obviously. All right. Uh-huh. So they... Uh, somebody uh, has a, a grand idea. So they storm the nearby Kentucky Fried Chicken. And, of course, outside the Kentucky Fried Chicken in all of Japan was always a statue of Colonel Sanders. So they go and they uh, they try to take it, and the staff is saying no, you know, try to stop the drunken hooligans. Uh, they start getting violent, and they end up ripping the colonel from its moorings and hoist them into the air, and then they bring them over to uh, where the canal is, and they sing Bass's cheer song, and then everybody shouts, Bass, and then they throw the statue into the canal. <laughs> All right. That's, that's just hilarious. Right. Just the visual of, Yeah. Wow. Now, now, I need to be fair here. Um, Some people say that this curse prevents the team from winning the Japanese series, but obviously that's not true because just a couple weeks after the colonel goes down to Davy Jones' locker, the team wins the Japan series. Okay. All right, so so really already the, the curse is on a little bit shaky ground. But right. how did this slip into curse levels? Well, this is what happens after that. All right, the start right. of the next season, their star slugger, Matsuyuki Kakufu, gets beaned, and he has to sit out the next game, and that ended a 663-game Ironman streak. Now, right. a month later, he returns for only 11 days, and then he injures his shoulder while he's on the field. And then he suffered a third injury that August, and he breaks another bone. And he ultimately retired after the 1988 season at the age of 33. Okay. So he was the Iron Man, and then everything falls apart in one season. Crazy. Wow. Right? Out my car. <laughs> right? Uh, ace uh, pitcher... Uh, Chikafusa Ikeda broke his heel bone while covering first base in May of 1986, and he was never the same pitcher after that. All right. Now, the team finished the 1987 season with the worst per- winning percentage ever of a 331. So they were terrible All right. that year. In the middle of the 1988 season, uh, Bass ends up being dismissed from the team because he failed to return to Japan. He was spending uh, an extended time uh, in the States. He was taking care of his ill son. But now one of the most famous players was dismissed from the team. I I mean, guess we would say he was cut from the team would be the Mm -hmm. way to say it. Mm -hmm. What's also amazing is the team lost out on 12 consecutive first-round draft pick lotteries. So they had a draft lottery, all right? But they missed out on 12 in a row, which was unheard of, all right? So they missed out on players like Hideo Nomo, Hideki Matsui, uh, Yusui Kikichi, all those who end up playing in the United States at some point. Yeah. And the team doesn't win another pennant until 2003. So it's an 18-year gap. 
that most of those years they were at the bottom of the standings. Now, they did win pennants again in 2005 and 2014, but they still have never won the championship. But it really gets into curse land here. For the first couple of seasons, nobody really spoke of any curse. It was just a baffling that, that the team that had done so well just turned into just complete trash. Enter Japanese television, Rich. Okay. Right. And we all know Japanese television for its its craziness and its looniness. There's a uh-huh. popular late night TV show. It started in the mid 80s called Night Scoop. All right. Okay. And basically the premise on Night Scoop was that viewers would send in questions or requests uh, to the show for them to, to solve a mystery. Some okay. sort of a mystery. So uh, in March of 1988, the show was commissioned to recover the sunken statue of the colonel from the canal. So they tried, and they tried four different times over the course of a month getting into the canal, and they failed every time. And apparently the hosts of the show said, quote, until the colonel is rescued and cleansed of the sludge, Hanshin has no hopes of winning a championship. So it's TV, so essentially like... Maury Povich from A Current Affair put a <laughs> curse on the Dodgers, right. exa- for example. Exactly. All right. So with that, a legend and a myth and a curse is born. And as the years went by, the team continued to embarrass itself and uh, a more credibility was given to the myth. So uh, it's hard to know if there's a curse or if they're just kind of uh, leaning into those particular things. Now, flash forward to March 10th, 2009. They're doing an annual routine cleaning of the canal and about four p.m., the Osaka City workers saw something as they were cleaning, and they found the colonel. So the divers bring the statue up, and it's in pieces now. It's been at the bottom of of this for for quite a few years, and now for the first time in 24 years, Colonel Sanders is freed from his watery grave. He comes up, and relief sweeps across Tigers Nation. The expectation that the team is going to win it all in 2009 and they finish fourth <laughs> in the Central League, out of the playoffs. And they still have no Japan Series championships since 1985. So the curse of the Colonel continues today. Now, there's some great YouTube videos. I'll probably put a few links uh, in the show notes that you can actually see the video of them finding the Colonel and bringing him up. There's a lot to it. I, I skipped over a, a few of the things there. But uh, fascinating story, right, Rich? That's fascinating. I mean, and when you told me about it i kind of just assumed it would kind of be the like the bill barocco story they found the colonel and boom they win the uh title you would think it would be the case nope, nope. yeah they they even did a ceremonial washing of it the kfc where they stole it from is no longer uh, a kfc anymore so they ended okay. up giving it back to uh, kentucky fried chicken and in fact it, it went to kentucky fried chicken japan headquarters and then it was on display for a while and actually became uh, um, oddly enough a, a japanese good luck charm that you would go and visit it and take your picture but that hasn't helped the Hanshin tigers no, but it's uh, it's kind of fascinating. That's weird. Yeah. So that that's crazy. So that's one thing for a curse to affect a franchise, but it's a whole different animal when a uh, curse impacts an entire city. Yeah. And I'm not making this up. You know about this? Um, it, it involves the city of Philadelphia. Okay. Tell me more. So um, some people swear it's a thing. It's the city of Philadelphia was put under this curse that's known as the curse of Billy Penn. 
And that might be a great place for me to do this, Richard. I think so, yes. All right, we are going to take a quick little break here. Uh, When we come back, Richard's going to get into the Curse of Billy Penn, uh, talk about the city of Philadelphia, and uh, we will be right back. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And we're back. Richard, I uh, so rudely interrupted you as you started talking about the city of Philadelphia, which is the city of brotherly love, and that wasn't very brotherly or lovely of me. But uh, but it's very much on brand for Philadelphia. Of course. So you're All forgiven. Right. Yeah. I'm not throwing snowballs at, uh, at Santa or anything like no, that. No, so. which you know, we should talk about in a future episode because that Santa was apparently drunk and rude, and he deserved... <laughs> All he deserves all the uh, the snowballs. Oh, that's great. All right, Rich, get us into uh, The Curse of Billy Penn. Yeah, so Billy Penn, which is kind of a funny thing to call him because he's actually more formally known as William Penn, sure. who was the founder of Pennsylvania and Philadelphia. He essentially designed Philly, sure. so he's quite a big deal. Which is kind of funny why they call this curse Billy Penn instead of William Penn. <laughs> right. It makes it sound like some like construction worker or something <laughs> like, you know, worked on the running market or something. Yeah, little Billy Penn. Yeah. Uh, in 1894, they put a statue on top City Hall, and a gentleman's agreement was put in place shortly thereafter. The agreement forbade any building in Philly to be higher than the hat of Penn statue. So it stayed firmly in place until 1985. When approval was granted to build One Liberty Place, a modern steel and glass skyscraper. It was located just three blocks away from City Hall. It opened its doors in 1987, and it stood roughly 950 feet above Penn. And this is when stuff started going down. So so not only was it just a little bit above him, it was like 950 feet above it. Almost 1,000 feet above Penn's hat. All right. And uh, Philly was in pretty decent um, shape at this time. You know, they had won, uh, you know, the Sixers had won the NBA title in uh, 83. Yep. The Eagles had gone to a Super Bowl a few years before Mm -hmm. that. The Phillies won the World Series in 80 and went to the World Series in 83. And the Flyers had hit a couple Stanley Cup playoffs. So, you know, they had a couple championships in the 80s. You know, they were pretty, pretty good. And then, of course, because of all that, nobody really paid much attention to the curse for the first alleged years. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's not too weird for a city to go, with multiple teams like Philadelphia to go years without a title. Sure, sure, sure. But by the time the 21st century rolled around, it was a different story. The city had gone 23 years without a title, and the curse had grown momentum. Uh, something needed to be done to reverse it. Yeah, they talk about reverse the curse all reverse the time. Reverse the curse, yeah. right? Uh-huh. 
And you had some weird stuff happen during this time to some of these uh, franchises. Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, and you also had some great players, so it wasn't like they were like totally terrible. You got had like people like Charles Barkley, right. Eric Lindros, and uh, Randall Cunningham. These great talents, but nothing was happening. Something needed to be done to reverse the curse, but there's a problem. They couldn't exactly move Penn's statue because it was bound on the top of City Hall. Right, and then you're not going to build a brand new City Hall that's going to be taller than a huge skyscraper. No, and they couldn't exactly tear down one Liberty Place either. Yeah. So what could be done? The solution was a new statue, kind of. Okay, okay. In June 2007, uh, the highest and last beam of the Comcast Center was laid, okay. officially making it the new tallest building in the city. A couple of the construction workers decided to put a small figurine of pen to the beam. Interesting. In an attempt to break the curse. The figure was stolen because Philadelphia. Of course. <laughs> but it was replaced by an even smaller figurine. But it really didn't matter how large the figurine was. It worked. The next year, in 2008... The Phillies beat the Tampa Bay Rays to win the World Series. Fascinating. Breaking the curse and ending the 25-year drought in the process. Fascinating. Since then, Phillies taking great care to making sure Billy Penn's statue of some form towers above the city. And there's evidence that such care pays off. In November 2017, a new tallest building, the Comcast Technology Center, was completed. Again, workers put a pen figurine on the building's highest beam. And the Eagles won the Super Bowl two months later. Fascinating, isn't that great? So, so there's there's going to be little uh, little William Pens on the top of every uh, tallest building in Philadelphia forever. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and that's the last time uh, Philadelphia has won a title. So, I think it's time to uh, build a taller building. It's about time, right? right? Yeah. Well, I mean, Philly, Philly's made it to the World Series this year, but uh, all right, Rich, let's uh, let's go uh, to the National Football League with this next curse. Um, all right. Let me ask you a question. Yes. What two teams are tied for the most Super Bowl appearances without a win? The Bills and the Vikings, which is why they're going to play in the Super Bowl this year. Wouldn't that be amazing? That would be great. They're both having great seasons. Yeah. yeah, That would be awesome. And then you know that it's definitely going to break. Now, um, it has been said that the reason the Minnesota Vikings have never won a Super Bowl is because of the curse of Ed Thorpe. Who's Ed Thorpe? Uh, right, actually, that's what everybody thinks about. Now, no relation to Jim Thorpe. This is T H O R P. There's no E at the end. Now, Ed Thorpe is the person who the trophy of the National Football League was named after. It's called the Ed Thorpe Memorial Trophy. And it was named that in 1934. And the Ed Thorpe Memorial Trophy was awarded to the champions of the NFL from 34 to 1969. All right. All right. Now, the trophy was named after Ed Thorpe, noted referee, rules expert, and sporting goods dealer. And he was a friend to the early uh, NFL owner. So if uh, if Ed Thorpe would be alive today, this would be the rules expert that they would go to when they're... Uh, so Gene Skirator, whatever exactly, his name is. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Thorpe ended up dying uh, June 1934. Soon after that, they decided to name this traveling trophy after... Ed Thorpe. The New York Giants win the first Ed Thorpe Memorial Trophy in 1934. And like the Stanley Cup, the Thorpe Trophy is owned by the champions until the following year. Right. They engrave the name of the team on there and the year that they win. And it was supposed to be handed over to the new champions every year. Every NFL champion from 1934 through 1969 was supposed to receive the trophy. Of course, after the 1969 season, you have the NFL-AFL merger. And yeah. there would be no 
need for an NFL trophy anymore, all right? Because they'd already started giving the Lombardi trophy to the winner of the Super Bowl starting in 1967. So, right. So now that now the leagues are merging, there's not going to be a, a need for an NFL trophy. Now, there is the, you know an NFC trophy and an AFC trophy and those particular things. But let's get back to the Ed Thorpe Memorial Trophy. You would think that that would be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, right? Yeah, it sounds like a cool piece of history. Uh, yeah, it, it, it would be, but, but uh, it's not, all right? All right. Um, the last NFL champion to win the trophy is the Minnesota Vikings, and the curse is that they lost it. What? How do you lose a trophy? That they lost the trophy and they have been cursed ever since, since since they lost it. Legend has it that the team lost it after they defeated the Cleveland Browns 27-7 in the NFL Championship game of 1969. Some say that there was this big party, this after party, and it disappeared after the party. There's another source said that they left it at a gas station somewhere. (laughs) It's kind of a big thing to lose. Right, right. But nevertheless, it's gone, right? And this has become the story of why the Vikings have had terrible luck uh, going on over over half a century now. They have made the Super Bowl four times, but they've lost every time, like we mm-hmm. talked before. And they haven't made it to a Super Bowl since Super Bowl Eleven, when they lost to the John Madden-led Raiders 32-14. to But, Rich, that's not all, all right? They were on the losing end of the game where the term Hail Mary was coined. Yep. Yep. They lost to Roger Staubach and the Cowboys on a last-second pass to Drew Pearson in the playoffs at Old metropolitan stadium in bloomington minnesota side note all right in in that game at the Uh end of the game the fans are pelting the field with debris uh, and the field judge gets hit in the head with a bottle and is knocked unconscious whoa so perhaps some then say that this emboldens the ghost of ed thorpe or or even the nfl gods to double down on the vikings well if i'm not mistaken i do believe that fran tarkinen's father passed away with a heart attack the same day that sounds right to so, me too. i didn't I, research that but i, I believe tarkin mentioned that during his hall of fame induction ceremony wow, wow. so yeah so I, I think they're maybe he tripled down yeah maybe triple down on that yeah. particular thing wow now 1989 the vikings make what is uh, said to be one of the worst trades in pro sports history they trade a package of high round draft picks to the cowboys for herschel walker Mm-hmm. Now, the former Heisman Trophy was a good name, but he was terrible as a Viking. A season high of 825 yards in two and a half full seasons there. And the, the Cowboys used those draft choices basically to build a dynasty and yep. win three Super Bowls in the 1990s. Yeah, that was just terrible. And when in between this one and that one, you also had them in the 87 NFC Championship game where against Washington where they had a chance to win the game, and Darren Nelson drops the ball in the end zone. Right. Oh, right, right. Yeah. Yep, yep. 1998, uh, the Vikings finished regular season 15-1, and and they lose the NFC Championship game to the Falcons. And the big play there is a missed 38-yard field goal by Gary Anderson, who hadn't missed a kick the entire season. Yeah. All right, and that would have given them a a 10-point lead with 218 to play. I could do a whole lot more, but 2016, uh, uh, Blair Walsh botched that 27-yard field goal that would have basically won the game for Minnesota in the playoff game. You just need to ask a a Minnesota fan, and they're going to have a ton more examples. I was doing some research, and I was listening to a news report, and uh, they were talking about uh, talking to a a Vikings fan, and they said um, they don't really know or know what what they would do if they ended the season not feeling disappointed. Right. That's just how they feel. Honestly, I think that goes for the city of Minneapolis right now because 
they now have that curse. Maybe uh, they need to build a statue and put a little Billy Penn on something because <laughs> they haven't won a title since 1991 when the Twins won the World Series. Yeah, it's been a long time. So over 30 years. Now, there, there are six Ed Thorpe Memorial Trophy replicas in existence. All right. Mm-hmm. The Packers Hall of Fame has two. The uh, one that they made after the 36 season and after the 39 season. The New York Giants have two from the, after the 34 season and the 39 season. Mm-hmm. The, tr- the Detroit Lions. Yes, the Detroit Lions actually won an NFL championship. And then the Washington Redskins from 1937. So those are the ones mm-hmm. that, that, are, that were made by the teams that they have officially. There's another unofficial replica, and it's in the Skull Bar in Maplewood, Minnesota. It was funded by fans, and what they wanted to do is they wanted to give it to the Vikings Museum to try to break the curse. Now, the museum turned them down, but it is still in the Skull Bar in Maplewood, Minnesota, and they bring it out every Sunday to watch the games, and anytime they're ready to, to kick a field goal, they hoist it up in the air, and they say it usually works, and I'm like, well, usually we make a lot of the field goals. Anyways, it doesn't really matter. Have you ever been to the Skull Bar? Because I, I know you've been to Minnesota. I have not been to the Skull Bar, but I'm, I'm ready to go I now. think we need to go. Absolutely. 2015, Packers historian Cliff Christie enters the scene, all right? He begins to research the whereabouts of the real Ed Thorpe Memorial Trophy. You know, he goes, got to find out where this is. And he finds out that the Minnesota Vikings were actually never officially awarded the trophy. All right? Whoa. Uh, He could find no proof that there was a ceremony or presentation of the trophy at all. And in fact, he couldn't find proof of, of it happening after 1940. 1940 was the last official presentation of it. It seems huh. to be the the teams would mail it to the next team, all right, after the season, or it was given at the next owner's meeting, but it was just like handed off to somebody. It wasn't like there's no presentation of yeah, it. Yeah, it wasn't was, like you know, people parading around like the Stanley Cup or no, something. Exactly. Nobody, they didn't get it at the end uh, of that. Now, according to Christie, the uh, quote, Wide-ranging searches of newspapers.com and newspaperarchive.com produced no mention of any Thorpe Trophy presentations from 1940 through 1969. Additionally, a scan of NFL minutes at the Ralph Wilson Jr. Pro Football Research and Preservation Center at the Pro Football Hall of Fame in Canton, Ohio, failed to uncover mention of the trophy after 1939. Hmm. Now, according to Christie, uh, quote, the only mention of the NFL presenting a championship trophy over that 30-year period was found in the Green Bay Press-Gazette's coverage of the Lombardi Testimonial Banquet. All right, so there's this banquet that's happening in Green Bay Mm -hmm. uh, in in, uh, 1962. This is May of 1962. The Press-Gazette runs a picture of then-NFL Commissioner Pete Rozelle handing Lombardi what the paper twice referred to as the Jim Thorpe Trophy um, (laughs) and at a banquet held the previous night at the Green Bay Elks Club. Which, by the way, sounds like the most Wisconsin uh, presentation ever. Right, yeah. You know, uh, in a uh, Elks Club banquet hall, yeah. Now, obviously, Jim Thorpe is not Ed Thorpe, but Jim Thorpe is considered the greatest athletes of all time, including the professional football in the early 1900s. Christie's also reported uh, that there's no mention of how or when the Packers Hall of Fame acquired uh, this trophy. Now, Christie keeps searching, and upon further review, it turns out that they find the actual true Ed Thorpe 
Memorial Trophy okay. in the Packers Hall of Fame. Huh. It was there the whole time. One of the ones that was a quote-unquote replica uh-huh. was actually the real Ed Thorpe. The real thing. It had uh, The base had come off of it, but it was the real deal. It had been in Green Bay since at least 1962, but it could have been there perhaps a lot longer. Something else that I found interesting in that, uh, in that what was that called, the uh, Lombardi Testimonial Banquet, uh-huh. um, it was said that uh, um, Lombardi was actually given a gold putter that night as well, and he loved that thing way more than the trophy. Okay. So, <laughs> typical, right? Yeah. Well, also, I think that was the Lombardi's first uh, championship, right? Yeah. Because that would have been for the 61 season. That would have been. Yeah. yeah. So, it turns out that the Vikings curse has nothing to do with the Ed Thorpe Memorial Trophy. It doesn't have to do with a lost trophy. It doesn't have to do with them leaving it at a gas station, anything. Like that. They never, ever had it, Richard. They never <laughs> had it. It's just terrible luck. Wow. Now, like we said before, as we record this episode, uh, the Vikings are having one of the best years in a long time. And perhaps, as you might have predicted, the, the Vikings and the Bills meet in the Super Bowl, and one of those teams is finally going to win. But if they do make it to the Super Bowl again and win it, they, they can't blame the curse uh, anymore. Right. All right. You know, and there's other teams that you can uh, shift to. And one thing, as we wrap up here, we talked about how there were some teams and some curses that you can dive into, but I really think a lot of those have to deal with clear bad ownership. Like sure. the curse of Bobby Lane is one that I found where the, the uh, Detroit Lions' famous quarterback went out and uh, got traded to Pittsburgh. He was not happy, and he said, the Lions aren't going to win a championship for 50 years. Yep. yep. And they haven't, but asking a Lion fan, then they'll say, no, we're cursed by the Ford family. Right. Yeah, it has nothing to do with somebody putting a curse on us. Right. It was, and just, it was yep. And as you said before, you know, both of us uh, kind of having a fandom of the of the team known as the Chargers, the, Dean Spanos uh, as the owner, that, that's really the curse is is his ownership. Not because they moved from San Diego, which they shouldn't have ever done, but right. that, that's, a, that's a whole other thing. Yeah, you can say, you know, there's several Spurs curses going on right now. There's the curse of the Dan Snyder, there's yep. the curse of Dan Snyder, uh, the Senators had the curse of Eugene Melnick before he yep. passed, Dollar Bill works for the Blackhawks. Yep. I actually called a Blackhawk fan that I knew the day he passed away and congratulated him. Yeah, right? Finally. Yeah. Uh, I think about the curse of Marty McSorley. That's the other one I think about, uh, you know, that no Canadian team has won the Stanley Cup uh, since uh, they uh, challenged his stick in, in the Stanley Cup final. Yeah, there's that. And then there's also, like, curses and superstitions, like, with hockey, just uh, teams not touching the uh, conference championship t- trophy. Right, right. Which is right. ridiculous because the year Crosby picked it up and skated away with it, he won the cup. Yeah, so it, it, it's not all all for sure. Now, yeah. I'm sure you guys have, if you're listening to this, you have your favorite sports curse. If you would like to reach out to us uh, on Twitter, and I'm going to hit this button right here. Um, you want to reach out to us on Twitter at Athletic Obscure. If you want to send us an email, athleticobscura at gmail.com. Uh, share with us your favorite uh, sports curse. We would love to hear uh, that. Thanks again for taking the time to listen. If you have a topic idea for us, you want to chat, agree, uh, disagree, uh, you can go ahead and send us an email as well. Follow us on Twitter. Uh, just about every day we uh, post something weird, strange, and unknown in sports. Uh, we're so thankful to be part of the ElectroCast uh, family of shows. You can check them all out at electrocast.com slash podcasts. Um, next episode, Richard and I haven't really even decided what we're going to do yet. No, so, uh, we have a ton of options. 
questions. Yep. Uh, we just got to figure out which one we want to do next. Yep. Send us a, an email if you would love to see one of those in the next episode. And I can't wait till the next time that uh, uh, when we invite you into another discussion of the weird, strange, and unknown in sports. Adios, everybody. Good night. I'm just going to keep this rolling. Yeah. It's easier doing it that way. Today is working for me. Do you believe that for yourself? Hey, I'm Pastor Julie, and I want to empower you through encouragement, inviting you to my podcast, Big Truth Encouragement, where I unpack living a faith-filled life. I created my podcast for the ladies, but gentlemen, you'll gain something too. So I invite you to listen to Big Truth Encouragement on Electricast and any platform where you listen to your podcast. Introducing the Deep Leadership Podcast. Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. As a former submarine officer who spent 22 years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. matters. Deep Leadership is real-world, actionable leadership advice from John and his expert guests. Become a leader worth following. Subscribe today. Electric Acid.